Yesterday, of course, was a day to watch a lot of stuff on television. Maybe you relaxed. Maybe maybe you watched a game or two. I stayed up late and watched the the Yankees beat the Angels. And I was my son Hank is he knows that. There's only one team that he cannot pull for, and that's the Yankees. That's the one team he can't. He knows that, and and so he is he is just distraught over the fact that the Yankees keep winning games, and he cries, and he and it's just I mean it's it's bad. And so I stayed up late last night, and and I went to bed just disappointed, knowing Hank was going to get up, wanting to watch the highlights, and knowing you know he was just going to be broken hearted, which he was this morning. I, and I got up, and there he was watching the highlights, and he was just. Upset, but anyway, you know when we watch sports or whatever it may be, you you can hear you, you hear the crowd, or maybe you you listen to the commentators, or maybe you, you see a newspaper article after the game, and something describes maybe a play that happened, or uh, maybe the outcome of the game, something like that, and we throw around a lot of words to describe those kinds of things. I mean, think about it: when you're watching a game and and a play happens that it, that it just sort of is unique and unusual. You may throw around words like, man, that was awesome. What? That was an incredible play. Those of you that, that are football fans for this time, that, that was an incredible pass. Do you see that guy, how he dove and caught that? Wow, that was amazing. And we throw those words around. And, and we do that not just with sports, but with a lot of other things as well. We just sort of, our superlatives kind of fly. You, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. When we, don't, when we do that, a lot of times we don't even think about that. And, and I, I think a lot of times what happens in, in our society, what we've done is we've watered down a lot of those words. Now everything is awesome. Now everything can be incredible. Now everything can be amazing. Even, even a simple tackle on the football field elicits a response from the person who tackled the guy that looks like they've just done something that nobody in the history of football has ever done. Tackle somebody. That's the whole point of the game, is it not? try to tackle the other team before they tackle you and all that. And and yet they act as if, many of those players act as if they've done something that is so amazing, so incredible, that nobody else has ever done it before. And yet I think a lot of times we water those words down to where they have very little meaning. You say something's awesome. Well, it doesn't necessarily inspire awe, and it's breathtaking, and there's no words to describe it. That may just be, well, the guy made a good play on the ball. And so I, I, I want us to look this morning at one part of a verse in Acts chapter 2 that we're going to expand upon and go to a lot of different scriptures. So put your seatbelt on with the scripture. We're going to flip back and forth a lot. But one part of a verse that describes that the superlatives that were handed out by the people in the early church went to the one who truly deserved them. And their words were not watered down, I can guarantee you. Their words of of praise and adoration, and that's awesome and wow, incredible, amazing, went to the only one who truly deserves them. So I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 2. And we'll start this morning, look at verse 46, and we'll focus on a small part of verse 47. So if you've got a Bible and want to turn there, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 2. If not, the verses provided that I don't go too fast and and outrun our guys in the back. I, I forgot to warn them this morning. There's going to be a lot of stuff, and I'm going to talk fast. So some of you probably – I had somebody say one time to me, you know, I'd like to say amen every once in a while, but you talk so fast, you get to the next thing. I'm not sure I want to say amen about that. And so anyway, <clears throat> whatever. 
So look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And every day, this is talking about the disciples, the people who were in the church, the folks who had gotten saved and given their lives to Jesus. And, and here they are. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That, that just right there, if we could stop right there, that would be an incredible way to live. Just to, to live with gladness and simplicity of heart. It's a whole different sermon. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. This series that we've been in called Unstoppable, looking at what a biblical church is and does. Our goal is not to dictate that God would do something, but to be ready for whatever God may want to do in and through us here at Elm Grove. And so our goal has been to look at the scriptures when the church first got its start. What did they do and what, as a result, should we imitate? Is there anything that we can take from what they did to apply to our setting and put that into practice and see what God can do? The small part today that I want us to focus on is the very beginning verse 47. It says they were meeting together. They met in large groups. They met in small groups. They met at the temple. They met at homes. They, they were all together. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And then verse 47 says, praising God. And, and that can easily be overlooked because when we read the scripture, a lot of times we just say praising God and having favor with all the people. And, but that small little thing, those two words, praising God, that's what I want to focus on today. And so as we think about this series that we've been in that will actually end next week, we know that these folks had a lot to praise God for. They had seen him do amazing things. Jesus was gone, but the Holy Spirit has come. And, and in one sermon, as we've referenced quite a bit, 3,000 people joined their church, not from transferring from a church down the road, but for, for the very first time, finding hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. They joined one day, 3,000 people. And as a result of that, it says they devoted themselves meeting together, eating and with, with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. So we don't find these people taking credit for what God did. Instead, those two little words show us that they praised God. And from that, we can learn that that biblical church did that and and certainly for us, we need to take that principle, apply it to us, even though there may be a little bit of confusion about what it means to praise God. We hear those terms. We see that in the Bible. Maybe you see it in songs and lyrics and all. But simply praising God just means talking about what God has done, who he is, telling him who he is, not just talking about him. But uh, it manifests itself, obviously, in a lot of different ways. The Scripture talks about doing that just through our words, through our songs, through our actions, through instruments, and so on. There's lots and lots of different stuff. But today, I want to give us just a few guiding principles. When it comes down to us being a biblical church that praises God, individuals that do that, just a few guiding principles. So here we go, bouncing around with the Scriptures. I'd like for you to look on the back of your bulletin. There's a way you can follow along. If it's worth sitting here listening to, it's worth writing down. So write some stuff down. Some of you are still debating that. But, but maybe you want to write some depth and some things down. Draw some, some arrows to different things, whatever it may be. There's a very skeleton outline on the back of your bulletin. Of many of the scripture references you won't see there. So I encourage you to write them down. I want you to turn with me as we look at some guiding principles to John chapter 4. Uh, where we'll get sort of the idea behind this whole thing of praise and worship and what God is looking for uh, in us and through us. In John chapter 4, uh, there's a, an encounter that Jesus has with the, the lady who becomes known as the woman at the well. 
the Samaritan woman who is all by herself because she's been shunned by the other ladies. She shows up late in the evening to get some water out of the well. Jesus meets with her there, tells her all about herself. Uh, that not only does she not have a husband, but she's had five, and the guy she's living with now is not her husband, and she's amazed and blown away. This guy knows who I am and everything that I've done. And so she tells him in verse 19, Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. No joke. You know everything about me. Our fathers, is this what she says, worshiped on this mountain. Yet you Jews, she's a Samaritan, understand, say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here's the guiding principle from this particular passage of scripture. Biblical church praises God. We see that in Acts chapter 2. It sort of goes back to this statement in this encounter that Jesus had. And here it is. Jesus is looking for true worshipers. Jesus is looking for true worshipers. The opposite of that is casual Christians. You ever known somebody like that? Don't elbow anybody, please. Don't point. You ever known somebody who's just sort of a casual Christian? Well, there's a lot of things that, that we see that are very obvious in that. They, they maybe think that uh, showing up at church on a Sunday morning is sort of the extent of it. That's it. Maybe they've made some sort of verbal commitment to the Lord, or maybe they've even been baptized, but it really hasn't affected their life on a consistent basis. And maybe they put on a show every once in a while when they need to, they talk and say the right things. And now I speak to that, and some of us probably have somebody else in mind right now. But every one of us, myself included, is guilty of casual Christianity, are we not? Every one of us. From, from time to time, we fall into the trap of not being true worshipers, but being casual, almost thinking as if we're doing the Lord a favor by showing up and, and doing all the things we do at church and, and talking to people and shaking a hand and being so nice to people. God, isn't this great what we're doing for you? Realize God doesn't need us at all, at all. The simple truth that, that helps us to understand our place in this world. God does not need us at all, but out of his grace and love, chooses to use us anyway. Chooses to include us in his great plan. And so as a result of that, he's looking for people, not who are sort of casually following him, but folks who are totally and completely devoted to him. In this particular passage in John 4, Jesus says, look, a time is coming and it's here now when it won't matter where you worship. It's not about a place and it's not about a time. Jesus is looking for true worshipers who aren't tied to a place or to a time. And here's the implication for us. Sometimes it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm going to go to worship there at church. I'll be at worship on Sunday morning. And at that time and place is when I will engage with God and and somehow turn my heart toward him and sing a few songs and listen to somebody ramble for a few minutes. And then I'll go home and consider that I have worshipped. Jesus says the true worshipers understand it's not about the time or the place, but it is all the time, everywhere. My heart is turned toward God in true and complete devotion toward him. He's looking for worshipers 
who will do just that. In fact, we see that in Acts chapter 2, they met where? In the temple and in homes. It wasn't just when they got together as a large group that they focused on God and worship, but in their homes and everywhere they went, that was their focus. And so Jesus is looking for those true worshipers who will then abide by the very next principle, and this is it. I want you to get all this down at one time, and then we'll break this apart as we move forward. God must be praised for his greatness, his goodness, in good times and bad times. God must be praised for his greatness, for his goodness, in good times and bad times. Now, for each one of those that you filled in the blank on, if you want to draw a little arrow, we'll reference a couple of scriptures and we'll kind of flesh those out just a little bit, each one as we move forward. Those true worshipers understand and apply this principle. That biblical church early in in the book of Acts praised God for his greatness, for his goodness in good times and in bad. We think about God's greatness, and this is difficult, I think, for us to grasp, and it's difficult to explain, I'll be honest with you. Because how can you put words around someone who is infinite? How can you put words around someone who is eternal? Uh, The scriptures even have trouble making words fit that will... Help us understand what God is. There's, don't you love it when you read the scripture and you say, what? Have you ever been there? Maybe I'm just the only one who ever once in a while just like, what on earth was that? And, and we see these encounters. Imagine being in the Old Testament. In, in the book of Joshua, there's an encounter that Joshua has right before he fights the battle of Jericho. Remember Joshua the battle of Jericho and the walls came you know, tumbling down? And, and, and right before this, in Joshua chapter 5, he, he wakes up and he has this encounter with this guy standing there with a big sword who's an angelic sort of figure. And, and he gets this odd sort of response, understanding, I'm not sure, he, he asks the guy, he says, who are you and are you for us or for them? And in the version we, we use here on Sunday mornings, the home of Christian Center, it just says neither. The, the New American Standard puts it even better, are you for us or them? No. You know, the Bible sometimes gives us some confusing sorts of responses. Another one, as we think about the greatness of God, is in Exodus. And, and I, I will turn there and, and look at this, Exodus chapter 3. How the Bible sometimes, though it does its best, and we realize that it was written through humans, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written through humans in human language, does its best to help us understand the greatness of of God. Exodus chapter 3 is the story of Moses and the burning bush. And if you're familiar with that story, you know Moses is out taking a stroll. He looks over and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And, and the scripture records, and of course Moses is writing this, uh, basically, hmm, I'll go over and check that out. And it records his thoughts. And so he walks over and he looks at this bush, and sure enough, it's not being consumed by the fire. Before he can get too close, though, God starts speaking. Now imagine the surprise on Moses' face. Forty years he's been in the desert. Forty years since he's sort of run away from every responsibility that he ever had. Really hasn't heard from God in 40 years. And then he sees a bush, and God speaks from the bush. Now, we, we look at that in the Scripture. Oh, you know, it's happened every day in the Old Testament. That's bizarre. And so God shows up in the this burning bush, and here he is talking to Moses. And Moses interacts with him, and God says, I have chosen you to go and deliver my people out of slavery in Egypt, and you're going to be the one who leads them. Moses says, okay, that's great. But in verse 13, he says this. 
And Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Now, here you're thinking, John, you know, you know, maybe just tell them God, say, does God have a name? And he says, this is great. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And we think, we hear those words in songs, the great I am, and this and that. That's God's response. That, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This, this, this wording is even difficult to write. Think about it. What's your name? I am who I am. No, seriously. Tell me your name so that I can say to the Israelites, tell them I am has sent you. You realize this verse references just the greatness of God that he is. That's it. He is, which means he is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. God is outside time and space. He is unchanging. He is altogether different than us. I heard it said this week that God created us in his image, and then we return the favor. And what we have done is try to make God like us, and we've tried to put God in our terms. And he just says, I am. Deal with that. Try to figure that one out. What's your name? I am. Well, when did you begin? I am. How great are you? I am. And we just see God as this incredibly powerful, all-knowing, outside of time and space, unchanging and different being. He is, I am, the Bible says. The greatness of God is very difficult for us to understand and to explain, but the greatness of God immediately calls us to praise him because none of us are I am. All of us are created. All of us depend on God for our very next breath. He is the uncreated, eternal one. There are things that we often miss, too, that then draw attention to the greatness of God. I walked over from the house last night about 930 it was dark outside, of course, but the sky was clear. And I looked up, and for the first time probably in two or three weeks, I happened to notice, of course, it's been kind of overcast and nasty outside, but I noticed the stars, and they were bright last night. And even though that there was a light sort of in the church parking lot, it was still very easy to see. You realize in the Old Testament that the Bible says, the heavens declare, shout, scream out the greatness of God. The greatness of God deserves his praise. The truth is we would praise humans if they were exceedingly great in one of these areas, in their knowledge, in their ability, in their discernment, in their wisdom. We would praise humans, calling them incredible. Wow, how smart they are. And how much more should we praise the creator of all those humans? God must be praised for his greatness. Not only that, for his goodness. When we talk about the goodness of God, we think of things like his holiness, and he is perfect. He does nothing wrong. He has no wrong motives. Everything he does in your life, believe it or not, is from a perfect motive, absolutely holy in everything he does. He is loving. He is persistent. He provides for and sustains our lives in this creation. And then best of all, an incredible passage of Scripture found in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, and Paul writes these words, and he says, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, 
or someone who does the right things. Though a good, per- though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves His own love for us, in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if we were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It says, for while we were helpless, the goodness of God reached out to us. And at the appointed moment, Christ died not for the people who sort of had it together, who who he thought, well, these folks are pretty good. Let me go and die for them because they're worthy of that. He says he died for the ungodly. And he draws the comparison. Rarely would somebody even consider dying for a, a good person, somebody that they actually Think, well, that person is all right. They've done some good for me. Think about your family. You're probably a handful of people that you would literally give your life for. Most of them, if not all of them, are in your just immediate family. Now, some of you have extended family here today, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and ask you how many would die for your extended family because some folks might get offended. But think about it. There are folks in your extended family who say, nope. Not for them. Love them. Not dying for them. Probably just a handful of people. I'm the same way. You know, we'd love to believe that you'd give your life for me and I'd give my life for you, but let's be honest for a second. Probably wouldn't happen. You'd probably think, well, okay, he's an all right guy, but I don't know. Well, that person, they're pretty sharp. eh, Jesus didn't die for the people that were just sharp and all right. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, before we had gotten cleaned up, Before we had had figured it all out, Jesus came and he died for sinners. And then it says we have have been declared righteous. means that, that we have now been given what Jesus alone could do for us, and that is to be made right with God. You realize that you can try your whole life, and some of you have done this. You can try your whole life to be good enough for God to love you. You can try your whole life to be good enough to sort of earn God's favor. And for him to look down and say, yep, you've done enough. That you, you, have, you have accomplished it. That's what I've wanted you to do this whole time. Get yourself good and clean. And you are fighting an uphill, impossible battle. Because the Bible says not one of us is good. No, not one. And it also says that even our best efforts are like filthy rags in front of God. The only, the only way that we receive salvation, that we receive the the idea of being made right with God, having our sins washed away, is not a lifetime of striving to do better. But it's a conscious decision to say, Jesus, you are the only one who can make me right with God. I'm done trying. I give up. And I give my life to you. And the Bible says that's the only thing that will declare us righteous is Jesus Christ himself. In his goodness, though he is far and high and lifted up and great and infinite in his goodness, he came near in the form of Jesus Christ to die for the ungodly, and that includes each one of us. He is to be praised for his greatness, for his goodness in good times. 
Acts chapter 2 records that 3,000 people get saved. They're really excited. Imagine that next church service. Think about it. They probably didn't have any, any, any trouble at all praising God that day. Hey, isn't that great? Unbelievable. Great, great times they had. And then in Acts chapter 3, you see we go on, and, and the very next passage of Scripture references the fact that, that Peter and John were walking around in the temple complex. They see a guy who's crippled, and in the name of Jesus, they heal him and raise him up. And all the people, it says in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 10, were astonished and amazed. And the guy runs away, walking and leaping and praising God, it says. Well, it's, that, that, I would, too. In the good times, God must be praised. There, there's... In the Old Testament, right before the Israelites go into the promised land, and they receive what God has for them, Moses warns them, look, it's about to get really, really good. You are about to inherit something that you did not earn and you could never deserve. You've been wandering around the desert in this miserable experience for 40 years, but God's going to make it really good. And he warns them, be careful to always remember the Lord your God. Remember to praise him. Remember where it all came from. God must be praised in the good times. And you say, well, it's easy in the good times. I'll tell you what, it's easy, but it's also easy to forget. If everything goes so well, you sort of start taking credit for it. Man, I'm doing real well in my job. Golly, that company doesn't know what they've got. Well, I tell you, if they just listen to me, well, if things would work out. You've been there? Man, I tell you what, I haven't tripped up in a while just in my own personal life. Man, I've really been living a good life lately. And we forget that everything that we have, or hey, financially, you know what? The, the economy's kind of been tough, but I think, man, we've made some really great decisions. Aren't we doing well? And it's easy sometimes to forget. Right after this guy gets healed in Acts chapter 3, and verse 11, it says, While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, this is great, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we had made him walk. Verse 16, by faith in his name, talking about Jesus, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. In the good times, Peter remembered It is because of God, not because of us. It is because of faith in the name of Jesus, not because of our great power. Peter told them it was only because of Jesus that it happened. He praised God in the good times. God must be praised for his greatness, for his goodness in good times and also in bad times. This is where it gets tough. So far, you're thinking, okay, you know what? That's not anything I haven't heard before. I've heard about the greatness of God. Heard about the goodness of God. Isn't that wonderful that he sent Jesus to die for our sins? Same story. Heard that before. Praise God in the good times. Absolutely. Listen, if things were going good for me, I would praise him. But then we get to the truth in the Bible that God must be praised in the bad times. Acts chapter 3, as we just mentioned, records this incredible encounter with John and Peter and this man getting healed. In Acts chapter 4, the very next chapter, just a few verses later, in verse 13, Peter and John get in trouble because of that healing, because of the great time. And it says in verse 13, when they observed, talking about the Pharisees and the Jewish council, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized 
that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves. This is great. Saying, what should we do with this with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. But so this does not spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. So these guys are in trouble. What will they do? They're facing some difficult times. In verse 19, but Peter and John answered them. This is, this is great. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Now how about that for response? You want us to listen to you or you want us to listen to God? You guys think you're men of God. You figure that out. For we are unable, this is, this is the best part, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the sign of healing had been performed, no matter what they faced. Good times they praised God. It's not because of us this man was healed, but only because of Jesus Christ in bad times. Look, you may throw us in prison. You may do whatever you want to do, but we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. We will not stop speaking in the name of Jesus. God must be praised for his greatness, for his goodness in good times and in bad. And as you think about it, the next guiding principle sort of then makes sense because praising God is a powerful tool in your life. Praising God is a powerful tool in your life. In Acts chapter 16, there's an encounter with Paul and Silas. Paul, who used to be Saul and persecuted the church, meets Jesus and his life is turned around forever. And he begins to go out and preach. And in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, we find Paul and Silas thrown into prison for preaching the name of Jesus. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he threw he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke them, then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed them, uh, washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. He brought all of them up to his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. Praising God is an incredible tool because here's the deal. God will use it to work through you. Praising God was what led to this earthquake. Could God have done it without their praise? Certainly, but maybe God did it in tandem with their praise. All the prisoners listening, 
an earthquake rattles the jail. As a result, the jailer falls down and says, guys, what do I need to do? There is something about your God that I want. What must I do to be saved? Praising God creates opportunities for those sorts of things because when somebody sees you in good times and in bad, praising God and still relying on Him, there is something unique about that because isn't it true that most people will praise God in the good times if they remember and then complain and wonder where God is in the bad times. God uses it through you. Not only that, but God uses praise in you. There's no question that Paul and Silas had hope and courage and boldness and strength and power. And they saw victory. They experienced the presence of God and his favor and smile on them. There is something amazing that happens. Some of you know this. Something amazing that happens when you praise God. Everything in you changes as you connect with God's spirit. There's something amazing about that. And so as you think about your life and the idea of praising God and that can sound sort of wooden and hollow and repetitive and oh, okay, that's great. Go to church and hear about praising God. Wonderful. I want to challenge you to do something that you already want to do, but maybe you're thinking it comes through something else. Maybe you're thinking that it comes through the position that you have or the education you gain or the personality you might have. But here's what I want to challenge you to do is this, to live a life of maturity and impact. All of us would say, yes, I'd love to be mature. I'd love to make some sort of difference. I'd like for my life to count in some way. Live a life of maturity and impact. And here's how. Praise God in all things. Praise God in all things. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 34 wrote, His praise will continually be on my lips. In good times and in bad, praise God in all things. There are times when you're not going to feel like it. Everything will fight against you to keep you from praising God. In the good times, Satan will begin to throw things in your mind and make you think, look how good you are. Man, God must really be happy to have you on his side. Man, you are incredible. You know what? If they only recognize that, maybe maybe somebody will pat you on the back this week, shake your hand, tell you what a great job you're doing, tell you how incredible you are. And it'll be real easy to forget that in the good times to praise God. And then you know what happens in the bad times? Well, your enemy just heaps it on you even more. Well, if God loved you, why would this happen? Well, if God really thought and cared about you the way that preacher of the Bible says that he really does, where is he now? It'll be real easy. For you to forget to praise God in those difficult times. Some of you have gone through it right in the middle of some awful, awful times in your life. And everybody may know or nobody may know. You may hide it. You may say, well, I don't, I don't want everybody to know my business. Hey, fine. But there is something powerful that happens when you praise God in the midst of those difficult times. There is something that happens inside of you, something that happens that you cannot explain when you begin to say, God, I know times are tough, but you are great, and God, I will praise you for your greatness. God, I will trust that you are good and holy and loving, and God, I will praise you for the salvation I have received. God, in good times and in bad times, no matter what, I will praise you. Talk about a powerful, mature, and impactful life. Some of us will experience that. Well, I hope I do. Well, I hope it's said of me that in good times and in bad, he praised God. You know what Job said? When, when the Lord allowed his entire family and all of his stuff to be taken from him, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord in good times and in bad. He praised God. He never got his answer as to why, but he experienced God like nobody else. Praise God in all things. That's how you live a life of maturity and impact. In Philippians 2, Paul draws reference to the fact, and some of us today may be in this position, draws reference to the fact that one day every knee will bow and every tongue, it says, will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every single person one day will praise God, either voluntarily or under compulsion. My question for you is, are you ready for that day? Some of you say, yes, absolutely. I look forward to that day when I stand before God and I can lay my life down at his feet and praise him because I have known him my whole life. I gave my life to him and trusted him. Some of us would say, well, I'm not even sure what you're talking about. The truth is this. One day the Bible says we will stand before God. And if we have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation and him alone here on earth, then we will out of joy confess he is Lord. He is in charge. He is He is who I have given my life to. Or those of us who have resisted Jesus, those of us who have tried to live life on our own, those of us who have turned our backs on him, we'll bow and we'll say it. And then we'll immediately be dispersed from his presence. So are you ready for that day? If you stood before the Lord today, would you be able with joy to say, Jesus is my Lord? Have you received his salvation through placing your trust in him alone? Maybe that's your decision today that you need to make. And so I pray that you live a life of maturity and impact by praising God in all things. I pray that our church would be that biblical church that praises God and is of maturity and impact. The early church praised God together, and we must do that as well. Their example shows us that they praise God with energy. They praised God with enthusiasm. They praised God with a smile on their face. There was something about them, and they were also sincere. And so I want to say this to you. It's okay if you're a person who likes to clap every once in a while because God has done something incredible. It's okay. The Bible says you can. It's cool. Promise. It's okay every once in a while if you say, you know what, David said every once in a while he lifted his hands to God because he surrendered all to him and I'm ready, God, to receive whatever. It's okay every once in a while to do that. It's okay to get excited to be at church. Why? Because we have been set free by a great God who in his goodness sent his son Jesus to die for us and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's okay to get a little bit excited about that. It is okay. May we be a church of impact. Maybe may we be a church of maturity and excitement because we have been saved. In Psalm chapter 150, it says this, the closing psalm in that book, Hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with trumpet blast. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dance. We just said dance in Baptist church. Praise him. Bible said it. Praise him with flute and strings. Some of you are 
wondering where I'm going. Praise Him with flutes. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God deserves our praise. He must be praised in the good times, in the bad times, for His greatness, for His goodness. It's okay to be excited and to praise God for what He has done. There's a song that I want you to listen to as we close, and then at the end of that, I'll pray, we'll stand, we'll sing together, and we'll be dismissed. But there's a song that I'd like you to hear. The words will be on the screen, and it sums up the praise that we are to give to God. And so maybe during this, you'd reflect on what decision it is that God would have you make today. Maybe to trust Jesus for the very first time. Maybe to join this particular church. Maybe to commit yourself fresh and new to Him. Maybe just to praise Him even in this moment, in the good times or in the bad. Take a listen to the song.